All right, I'm ready <clears throat> anytime you are. All right. Pro- probably. Me. Oh, we are recording already. Good. All right, then let's do this in three, two, one. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is May 31st, 2023. Yes, we made it through May. This is episode 366. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And this week's show, we're going to ask, where is the Calvary? We Harford County residents will also ask, did we really need more Hicks here? Of course we did, to decrease property taxes. Um, And we're going to do that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Uh, Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? I'm excited about this one, Scotty. Okay. Uh, First of all, story time. Okay. I went to Frederick last weekend okay. and watched the uh, Atlantic League wooden bat team uh-huh. that doesn't have a name uh-huh. that shares the stadium with the keys these days. Gotcha. They literally wear uniforms with question marks. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. Everyone should buy one. Everyone should buy one because they're about to rename the team. Okay. With whatever it is. So they're going to have a grand reveal. Yes. Yes. Okay. On June 23rd. But okay. while we were there, there were still question mark and the Mysterios or whoever they were. Gotcha. Anyway. So was, Clue is what you're telling me. It was very, Tim Curry was everywhere. Yeah. I was there at the ballpark. We may have had a, a few drinks of the week. A few drinks of the week. Uh, my brother just moved there, which is why we were there. Uh, and so we, we stopped at a beverage store after the game where I picked up a grapefruit nectar, an India pale ale by RAR. Yeah. Uh, with grapefruit, and it's fantastic. We've had this one before, haven't we? I have never had this one. Are you sure? No, now that you say it so confidently, I'm not sure, but I love it. I, I'm almost positive that uh, you have drank that at my house before. Okay. I don't remember it, which doesn't say a whole lot about me. So if I recall correctly, because right, I recall these things very correctly when it comes to grapefruit, um, I believe I gave you a six-pack, um, and I believe after I gave you the six-pack, it instantly disappeared uh, within like one day. And I said, oh, you must have really liked it. And you said, where can I get more? And I was like, well, it's it's not that easy to find. You can find it in Frederick. Well, there you go. While you support uh, Question Mark and the Mysterios. I, by the way, that was the first time I'd ever been to that park. I was surprised at how small it was. It is uh, pretty small, is the best way to describe it. Like I said, I've been to that park plenty of times during the Frederick Keys days. Uh, probably from 2002-ish to, I think the last time I was there was like in 2012. I think the thing that, that surprised me is that I, I always imagined it to be bigger. And so when they moved the high A park. Sinks by the baseball widows, but. <laughs> <laughs> Pass. When when they moved the high A team from Frederick to Aberdeen, I thought, yeah, why the step down? Why sure. the step down? Maybe not a step down. Uh, and like I mentioned before, when, when that move happened, I specifically said, if you look at the surrounding infrastructure in that stadium, specifically in training, training fields and stuff like that. I've never been super impressed by the Frederick infrastructure. I'm not saying the field is in bad condition. Don't think the stadium is actually that bad. Um, but I would say the infrastructure around it, not the best. Well, I will say that the stadium showed me a great time. The city of Frederick showed me a great time. Um, you know, now that my brother's there, it's kind of a little less classy. But it's it's fine. It was it was fine. Yeah. What What is your drink of the week? Jake, my drink of the week this week is tears. So Tears. Something tells me you're not alone. Yeah. Are, Let, let's just say there may not be a good, good, and good this week. Are we Are we going to have an episode where we explore our emotions? Folks, buckle up, grab your own drink of the week, 
It's going to be a bumpy ride. I like how we've gone from the buckle up birds to the strap in. This is going to get complicated. This was more of a strap on week, basically. It was a bend over and, and strap it on, is the best way to put it. I'm going to take us directly from that. My, my apologies to the Catholics. We're no longer lubricating the show. We're going to go directly to the medical wing and see what's happening there. And this is why we told you to strap it on and strap it in is the best way to describe it. So um, we have talked um, significantly about the medical wing. Um, and right prior to the Ronurius, you know, injury, we specifically said, hey, Orioles are doing pretty good with injuries. Pretty you know, healthy. Knock on wood. Everything's going out pretty good. You guys didn't knock on wood. You guys, well, you might have knocked on wood, but you walked knocked on the wrong kind of wood. It has been a gruesome week uh, from the Oakland standpoint. Um, we'll start off with Cedric Mullins. Uh, groin strain. Um, you know, everyone saw him kind of, you know, come come up, you know, a little short at first base. That's not true. Oh. Some of us got to listen to the call by Scott Garceau on the radio. Which means that I'm still waiting to hear what happened. Yeah, so it's even worse. Um, you know, Michael Elias. You know, everyone already knows this. We're, he's going to. He's thinking it's going to be weeks rather than months. He said if he had to categorize it, it's a grade two. Grade twos normally take you know six to eight weeks. Um, so again, I'm not sure if you're just going to say, well, if it's two months, we're just going to call it six to eight weeks. Um, but. I, this is probably not a good sign that Cedric Mullins is going to be back on this team before the all-star break. And the thing is, is that I, you know, I was beginning to wonder at some point as to whether Cedric Mullins is, um, you know, peak had happened mm-hmm. and, and whether, you know, how far he was going to fall from that. But I really feel like he has come back to be a steady good player. Yeah, I mean, he was playing at a level that was, I'm not sure quite he would be voted into the All-Star game, but certainly I think he would have been an All-Star candidate um, as an alternate, um, is the best way to put it. So, major loss uh, for the Baltimore Orioles. We're going to get to that a little bit, Um, but it didn't end there. Um, John Means was also reported off out that same time, specifically with a back strain. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's already hurt. That doesn't count. He's not allowed to get hurt again. Which, again means the timetable for him returning potentially in July um, is no longer. But Mike Elias indicated that he still thinks it's possible he could return in 2023. We're going to talk about pitching needs and and how much this team may or may not need uh, John Means. But I will say, if John Means was going to suffer a setback, I am so glad that it is not in his right arm. Oh, or I'm sorry, in his left arm. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm glad it wasn't, you know, a flexor strain issue again popping back up. But absolutely gut-wrenching to be like, oh, you, oh. you need some good news is the best way to describe it, and you got no good news. Everything sucks about this except for the fact that, I mean, let's face it. In, in the dark ages, if we had had a pitcher capable of throwing no-hitters who was experiencing 
Tommy John and coming back from it, he would have a setback every other week. He would need platelet-rich uh, treatment. Yeah, platelet-rich plasma injections. A second Tommy John. They would yeah. have to grow him a third arm. I'm just glad that this is seemingly less significant. Yeah, and coming back to the point that you just made, Dylan Tate, um, you know, has obviously been going through some recovery, you know, games. Did not do so well in the minors. And now... What kind of reaction has he had to his treatment? He's had a stress reaction. Oh, well, that makes me have a stress reaction. Jake, at the very beginning of the season, you said something along the lines of, you know, I think there's a good possibility that Dylan Tate is not going to show up this season. And I poo-pooed them away. I'm like, no, like, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Jake, I think you're right. I think Dylan Tate is probably done for the season. Can we talk about how bad for baseball, for Birdland, and frankly, for culture as we know it when I'm right? It's terrible. And, um, you know, more would be minor one, because that's three in a row that are just pretty devastating, honestly, in my opinion. Um, Austin Hayes, who is now your de facto center fielder, uh, was out of the game today. Uh, with an illness, whatever that means. Yuck. I'm sure he's saying the same thing right now over a toilet is yuck. All right. Hang on. This is getting deep. I, I need to, need to okay. pop another one. Roar. Yep. Pop some more tears. Um, so, yeah, there's that at the major league level. Um, and then, again, if we're looking into the minors, Colton Kowser, again, quad strain. Uh, he's not the only one. There's a plenty of other folks, too. You've got Kyle Stowers currently on the IL as well. Uh, we'll get into this in a little bit. Couldn't happen at a worse time. But everything has, in essence, gone wrong in one week. Uh, the Jenga Tower, as it were, has collapsed. Nothing is coming up Millhouse. Well, the medical wing uh, that we had been raving about now has some patience. And the question is, how quickly um, can Florence and the team turn them around and get them back on the field. And we'll figure all that out next week when we hopefully cry a little bit less. But in the meantime, let's take a look back at the week that was in Orioles baseball, 280 characters at a time this week on the Twitter. Scotty, one of my favorite, favorite accounts in all of Major League Baseball is, of course, Would It Dong, at Wood underscore It underscore Dong. How many times have you appeared on this? None, none, none. But I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying, Scotty. I'm more of a slap singles guy. Something very fun and interesting happened earlier this week. This is on May 24th. Adam Frazier hit a home run, and this was no ordinary home run in New York against Nestor Cortez. No, sir. This was a unicorn. The home run would have been a home run at Yankee Stadium and nowhere else. And I got to tell you, I love that kind of stuff i love it when we see those home runs get hit you okay with that yeah okay yeah i mean you're, you're absolutely right the, these are always fun i always think back to the jj hardy uh, pesky pole situation mm-hmm. um but yeah like this was a classic um create a park home run uh against the new york yankees which you'll love to see yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm sure that not only do we love it but uh aaron judge i'm sure aaron judge loves it, loves it. Um, so, uh, Jake, another clutch moment from Adam Frazier, um, is Adam Frazier, the most clutchy Oreo currently on the Baltimore Orioles at this given moment. He has some clutchiness that's oozing out of him in yeah. all the right places. 
so are you saying that he is uh, modeling that of Rogan Edward at this point? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I need to see him in a beard, but yeah. Could he take the Blue Jays on by himself? No, he's going to need Brian Baker. Okay, gotcha. But the gotcha. two of them, I got my money on them. Gotcha. All right. Uh, the next tweet uh, comes from our favorite podcast. Um, it comes from the Baltimoreans, and you can follow them at BMorons, and they have returned to the waves. Go and hit up subscribe on wherever it is you follow your podcast, um, but follow them at BMorons on Twitter and listen to their podcast. Uh, and the tweet goes as follows. Okay, I just went down the John Means rabbit hole. I'm getting excited, friends. How's that working out for him? Gentlemen. <laughs> gentlemen. Oh, gentlemen. Um, listen, um, I know you are new to new at this thing once again. Um, and uh, you're getting caught back up to speed. You are not in the best shape of your lives um, because you didn't participate in spring training. Um, Did they philosophically participate in spring training? No, they didn't even do that. They just showed up. I'm going to need you to remember who you are for a second and remember that this world hates you. Um, I'm also going to remind you and specifically Alan Smith that you told me uh, back in 2016 that there was nothing to worry about. Um, So listen, um, your words mean nothing to me. I love that you keep receipts and uh, just keep, keep it in your pants next time. Okay. Keep, keep, stop going down rabbit holes. Stop, stop enjoying Stop having baseball bring you joy. Don't go chasing rabbit holes. Please stick to the New York boroughs that you're used to. All right. That aside, our next tweet comes to us from Utah Street Report, who, of course, tweet at Utah ST Report. In April, they tweet, Jorge Mateo had 11 extra base hits in 69 very nice at bats. In May, he has one extra base hit in 66 at bats. Scott, I don't know a lot about baseball, despite the fact that we've been talking about it here on the air for about 10 years. But I do know this. Yeah. The time to trade Jorge Mateo was when he was hitting 350 and not now. Uh, well, of course. But again, I guess the question I raise is like people keep posting, well, he's making better contact with the ball. He's making better contact with the ball. He's going to break out of this. Uh Brandon Hyde loves his swings. For loves his swings, exactly. I've heard Brandon Hyde say this multiple times. At what point do we just say, yes, Mateo had a really nice April, but historically we're able to look at the entire sample size and say, yeah, Mateo's not going to be able to do that, um, and we're going to need to potentially upgrade at this spot. We we knew coming into this season that there was the potential that Mateo may need to move out of that position um, to you know, satisfy other needs. Mateo's obviously scuffling. He's been scuffling for a while. I, I don't understand um, why someone like Gunnar Henderson sits for multiple days because potentially he was scuffling, but Mateo has to go out there every single day. I know what the answer is going to be, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but people are going to come back and talk about it's all about the glove. The glove can't be replaced. But we really have to start questioning at this point, um, especially with Cedric Mullins going out, how much does the glove outweigh the batting performance? And this is eerily similar to, again, I love J.J. Hardy, but J.J. Hardy was a similar conversation back in the day, which is, I love J.J. Hardy, but how often can you go with someone that's basically going to offer a 50 or 60 weighted runs created plus? Well, and the other thing about it is that in a club with a higher margin of error, as far as offensive performance is concerned, 
you can hide a bat like sure. Jorge Mateo. You take Cedric Mullins out of the equation. You have some guys that are scuffling. And suddenly you can't hide him as well as, as maybe you could have before. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. Um, this last tweet, you know, comes to one of uh, Orioles fans' favorite topics in the world. And that's, well, the Orioles still haven't signed a stadium lease, which means they're obviously going to move. Um, and it makes, you know, financial sense for them to move is the best way to describe it. And for those that are not following the whole debacle that is the Oakland A situation, and we'll call it um, the projections that they're now making in terms of moving to Las Vegas, what an absolute dumpster fire this situation is turning out to be. Um, number one, they are going to go to a stadium again that's going to hold less people. Um, and then number two, um, they came out projections this week specifically saying that they are estimating that 405,000 out-of-town visitors would be coming to Vegas to see games, um, which means that on average, um, they're expecting to draw right around 1 million out-of-town fans uh, going forward, which means in the stadium that they are building, it's 33,000 people, um, it is a 38% capacity to be held by a wave fans going forward. And these stats are coming from um, an individual called A's hot dog. He is a follower of obviously the Oakland A's um, and is really just kind of pointing out the, the idiocies of this aspect. Um, But people in essence went hard on this aspect. Um, And there was a ton of data on this one. The other aspect is, and you know, and I have talked about this before um, the athletics as well, asking for $381 million in terms of public funding. Uh, Jake, can I ask you a question? Hmm. Um, in Nevada currently, where do you think Nevada stands currently within the nation in terms of public education funding? I, based on the way that you phrased that, correct. <clears throat> I'm going to guess it's just outside of the top three. I'm going to, in essence, say that they are spending as much money um, in a ranking standpoint as Jorge Mateo is currently doing um, at the plate currently. They rank dead last in public education funding currently in the nation. That is above that of Mississippi, above that of Louisiana, um, above that of Alabama. They are dead gosh darn last. And the audacity that an ownership group in the A's that is worth $1.8 billion is going to come back and say, we need $300 million um, to basically help build a stadium for us um, is just absolutely outlandish. And then to float these numbers out there for financial considerations saying, oh, but don't worry, like we're going to make a ton of tourists into Las Vegas because people are going to want to come watch Oakland Athletics baseball on this basis. Can, can I ask a dumb question? Sure. I've never been to Vegas. Sure. I've actually never been further west than Mount Rushmore. That's odd. So this is this is absolute ignorance yeah. speaking. I mean So wait a second. Let me get this straight. You have been friends with Jabby Burns for <laughs> numerous years. And you've never even entered the confines of San Diego? Oh, I have so many friends that uh that a better friend would have gone to see in California. Okay. But my question is this. Who goes to Las Vegas to watch a baseball game? The other standpoint, too, is, you know, you look at the stadium that they're building and it's going to be a partial roof stadium. I I don't understand how you would go to Las Vegas in the middle of the summertime and be like, I want to sit in a stadium 
that is going to be 105 degrees and sit in the sun. Whew. Whew. I, you know, they don't have this problem in the hockey arena. They don't. They don't. Look, I mean, I, I, there's no question in my mind that people are going to go to a stadium that is built in Las Vegas. I mean, we've seen that before uh, with other teams that have gone out there. I have no doubt about this. My bigger standpoint comes back to this is a classic example of um, people are like, well, someone can go somewhere else. Like, you know, they'll build them a stadium and stuff like that. And that's I'm sure Las Vegas will build them a stadium. But this just goes to it's not as easy as people are making it seem like Nashville is just going to magically make a stadium and the funding is all going to come about. This has been an absolute disaster. And you can guarantee you that Major League Baseball is looking at this and saying, okay, we're going to do it this time for the athletics, but how often are we going to let this happen? Um, because this looks like an absolute disaster. Yeah, and the the A's have this problem. Uh, the Rays right. have this problem. Baltimore has a fantastic, fantastic stadium. stadium. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to point it back out and something that I know you have a soapbox for, uh, I believe that currently the Orioles are 17th right now in attendance in Major League Baseball, um, which is pretty impressive to me. Um, so, yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with this. I think the athletic situation is going to be, again, a comedy of errors, um, and we'll go from there. I think it's a tragedy yeah. of errors. All right. Well, that's it for this week on the Twitters. Um, it's been, like we've discussed, a lot of things have happened since we last talked to you. Um, after that faithful Aaron Judge walk-off home run. Um, some good things, a lot of bad things. Let's go around the bases and try to figure out what to make of Orioles baseball right now. All right, so let's start at first base. Um, we obviously already talked about the Cedric Mullins injury, um, and the Orioles made a roster move in order to uh, you know replace him, um, and they've gone ahead and signed Aaron Hicks, recently designated from assignment from the New York Yankees, uh, to replace him going forward. Okay, when you heard that Cedric Mullins was hurt mm-hmm. and that he was going to be hurt for a considerable period of time, yep. How far down the list of options that you thought were likely did you have to go in order to get to Aaron Hicks? Sure. So um, I went um, Joey Ortiz. uh, Then I went Jordan Westberg. Um, I got to Brett Phillips at one point uh, because he was recently designated for assignment. Um, Went past him. Checked to see if Adam Jones was still posting on Twitter. Check to see if your son was available. Uh, and then I got to, to, to Austin Hicks. What? What is the deal? I, I guess. What's I, the deal with Austin Hicks? It, it, it's. Why? Why is it Hicks? Um, so, I mean, I, it, well, it's not even Austin Hicks. It's Aaron Hicks. Does anybody know the difference? No. no. Uh, Aaron Hicks. Why? <sighs> He, he defensive. It's just it, that's all it has. It can be at this point. It just has to be the Orioles looking at it and saying defensively, he's going to be our best option to go into center field. Um, and it, it, we think we can do something with the bat. And that's the only reason that there has to be for this move. 
So in the last two years, in yeah. 2022, he had a weighted, run, uh, weighted runs created plus of 90. The year before that, it was 76. Yeah. The good years prior to that, he had four years over 100, sure. mostly in the, the 120s. But obviously a player trending in the wrong direction. Yeah. So the question is, can he, through change of scenery and all the other nonsense, can he perform at the replacement level No, for the time that Cedric Mullins is going to be missing? No, he is literally, I think there was an article that came out of Fangrass talking about Aaron Hicks when he was asking for Simon. He is at the very bottom of the league currently in batted balls in terms of exit velocity um, and, and everything. Like, There's nothing that screams... This guy is, you know, the hitter that he was before. Um, even from an on-base percentage standpoint, he's nowhere close to being where he needs to be. So, I, I just, I don't understand it. I understand it potentially as a temporary move until you're waiting for other folks to come back. But uh, uh, again, you're supposed to have the number one organization in baseball in terms of a farm system, um, and this is the forty-man roster move you make. I- extremely disappointing to me. Well, you know, you said it earlier. We have some injuries. We do. In AAA. How do you feel about this move if this is literally them holding on until the farm system is healthy and then he's a DFA candidate once, you know, a Stowers or a Cowser is available? I still hate it. I still hate it. It's the standpoint of like, again, if I'm getting kicks in here, um, I, you know, he's your center fielder backup for Austin Hayes. But again... You know, I'm just going to put Austin Hayes out there. If Austin Hayes goes down, then I'm going to put Ryan McKenna out there. I don't like that, but I'm going to do it. Again, if I lose Austin Hayes, it's like, okay, well, we're really messed up at this point. But I just don't see the need for Hicks. Like, I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. He couldn't even get through the game today. Like, again, he came out with cramping, and they're like, well, that's because, you know, he hasn't been playing that often. Ryan O'Hearn doesn't play that often. He's not cramping up and coming out. This is just... It just looks bad all around. So let me ask you this. I, I agree. You know, Sed goes down and, and Austin Hayes is your de facto center fielder. And when he's not available for... And let's be candid. There's nobody illness. available at this given moment that is going to replace sure. Cedric Mullins. Like, I'm not asking for that. But what I'm saying is, in the past, when the Orioles have wanted to put out a competitive baseball team, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not talking about 2018 plus, but I'm talking during the Buckle of Birds era... The Orioles have gone out there and tried to put players on the field to minimize the damage. That's not to say that you're going to replace Cedric Mullins in his four plus war performance, but you're going to put someone out there that has the potential to put up a zero to a 1.5 war performance. Hicks does nothing for me on that aspect. He is going to be a net negative um, or, you know, a zero war player. So there is no major upside for the Hicks move. I'd rather, in essence, put somebody out there. That potentially could show upside rather than, in essence, nothing or negative. Sure. And and by the way, agree. Like, agree. Playing devil's advocate, though, I think that the Orioles have put themselves in an interesting position in the fact that they can't just throw anybody out in left field. When you you lose Cedric Mullins and you move Austin Hayes from left to center, you have a gaping hole. And when I say gaping... Yep. I mean gaping yep. hole in left field that I don't really feel like you can be confident with a lot of players out there unless they're bona fide 
major league outfielders. You know, you can't throw Taron Vavra and left for considerable periods of time and say, hey, kid, figure it out at the major league level with that gigantic wall out there. And so I understand what they're doing. I guess I'm more disappointed that we don't have the in-house options to hold down the fort for a little while. Yeah, and I think that's the, the the thing that bothers me. I mean, even coming back to, you know, someone that we saw earlier this year who was signed off of kind of a, well, actually, we didn't sign him off. We got him off of waivers. I would have rather see Daz Cameron up mm. at 26 years old um, just to see what he would do on this basis. Um, so, again, there, there are options that you had out there that you could, in essence, kind of float up here um, just to see what could be made out of it. So I just don't like the move. I think it is a, I think it's a lazy move. I don't think it in essence spurs very much creativity. I think it's also something that, you know, there was reports that came out um, earlier this year through, you know, one of the aspects um, as it relates to Elias and Sigma Dell, you know, talking about the whole Astros organization um, and how they were very protective of their prospects and I look at this situation and I'm like, I wonder if this is a situation where, in essence, they're being extremely conservative with their prospects and not wanting to expose them too early in the process. Um, because if for me, I'd say we don't want to bring up some prospects, but we're going to have to bring up some of our prospects. Um, I mean, I, I crazy move, but. I would I mean if you're looking for someone to promote right now that is an outfielder that could play left field, I'd bring up Heston Kerstad. I have the solution. Okay. I have the solution. The solution. I know a player mm-hmm. that could be easily gotten yep. to play the outfield. Dr. Poopoo? Right now. No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no. A, a a more legit outfielder than Stevie Wilkerson. Okay. What's using the LDS doing right now? <laughs> I think he's out of baseball at this point. Well, get him back. Yeah. Get him back. Uh, I agree. Look, the the Aaron Hick moves, uh, Hicks move is not one that I'm a fan of. But uh, that's not the only thing Yeah, that's, that's going rough right now. Let's turn into second base. And, Scotty, I want to discuss the inevitable. Yeah. The inevitable slump. The Orioles are having a rough couple of series. Yeah. Two series losses in a row. Things are not trending. The way that you would like to them to be tre- trending. Yep. But let's let's just look at it on its face. The Orioles were never going to play, you know, 600, 680 ball or whatever they were playing for an entire season. Are you telling me that the Orioles weren't going to win the remainder of their series for no. every single series that they played in? Not only was that not going to happen, but a winning percentage like that was going to be unsustainable for any team in baseball. Completely agree that... You know, the Orioles are were eventually going to slump is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were going to lose series. And I think even if we, you know, look at the May situation, just like you have mentioned before, um, we had a great record for May. There's no doubt about it. In my mind, May was a banner month is the best way to describe it. I mean, uh, the record was what? Um, 16 and 12. Is that right? Yeah. So absolutely, you're, you're correct. 28 games over the course of a month with brutal schedule. I think this still comes back to you're absolutely right. I would not be that bent out of shape specifically of losing the series against the Rangers. Again, excellent team mm-hmm. really was impressed by the Rangers. Um, and I wouldn't even be that bothered by losing the series against the Indians. Sorry, the guardians. Um, 
I think the Mullen situation really exemplifies it because it's a standpoint of you lose both series and then you start to think to yourself circa 2005 is this when the wheels start falling off the boat um or off the off the car or you know the, does the ship start sinking is the best way to put it um so yes it's the inevitable slump and it's not so much bothering me specifically about these two series my question really lies into is this the inevitable slump where in essence we're going to see what fancrafts was projecting the entire time which is going to say the Orioles are probably a 490 500 winning percentage team sure I, I, you look at the season you look at the schedule coming up and you say to yourself yeah things look bad right now yeah. right to to we'll call it unpleasant series but how long will will that last right if you look ahead to june first of all more off days in the schedule you have five off days in the schedule six off days in the schedule including tomorrow which is not a luxury that the Orioles had last year. Yeah, we had, and again, we had no none of that in May. I mean, you played twenty eight games there in May. Yeah, I mean that's a ton of games back to back to back to back. So, yeah, I'm glad that we're going to get off days. And and the opponents of the Giants, the Brewers, the Royals, the Blue Jays, the Cubs, two against Tampa Bay, uh, the Mariners. The Reds and then uh, a one-off yeah. uh, that series that continues in the next. So certainly month some winnable series, and there's yeah. there's no doubt about it. Uh, again, though, I think it's the standpoint of I think it's a culmination. I think it's mm-hmm. the standpoint of you look at the two series losses, and the Orioles certainly didn't play very well in either of those series, and then it's combined with Mullins. I think if Mullins does not get injured, in essence, you lose the series. Those series. I think we're having a completely different conversation on this podcast at this yeah. given moment. I think you kind of just shrug their shoulders and say, eh, the Orioles are in a rut uh, specifically, and they just went cold at the plate. What are they going to do to turn it around? But the fact of the matter is now it's, well, the Orioles lost two series, and what are they going to do to rebound in order to basically make sure that June does not become the May that we all expected? Well, I'll tell you what. And I, th- look, I'm not trying to be Jim Hunter here. I'm not, but I'll tell you the Orioles have. Is put- this message brought to us by the Catholic Charities of Baltimore? Absolutely. Okay. It is. Always it is. The Orioles have put themselves in a position where they can afford some time like this. You are absolutely correct about this one. I I completely agree that the Orioles do have a bit of buffer. I mean, even with the given situation of you know losing the series and losing the last series, um, the Orioles are now I think only four games out of first place. Um, and I believe last I checked, I think they have a four and a half game lead over, um, you know, whoever would be potentially getting into the last wild card spot. So the Orioles do have some buffer room as it relates to a playoff spot right now. Um, I'm being an Orioles fan and I'm being worried and I'm trying to protect myself because stealing I'm, your heart away. I'm stealing my heart away uh, and I'm trying not to be like Sam and Allen. No offense, boys. <laughs> Um, but this is why I don't get too much hope up, um, is the best way to describe it. I enjoy good baseball, but I'm waiting for that eventual shoe to drop circa 2012. I hear you. I hear you. And look, I, I think the next couple series could be, could be rough, yeah. but honestly, between now and that Yankee series that precedes the all-star break, I think the Orioles can be a middling to okay team. And if they can get through that period yeah. with enough wins, 
to the point where they can. What is enough wins? I'm just curious on what your like aspect is at this point. I mean, they they have played to the point where they're if they play, you know, three three or four games under 500. Yeah. Through through June and get into that early July series, ready to yeah. to go nux again with the you yeah. know one of their competitors in the AL East. I'm fine. I, I'm kind of at that same point again. If if my standpoint is going to be. Mullins is out until the All-Star game. At this point, my mindset has shifted away from, okay, they can continue to play 600 baseball. And my mind shift has now set to, they need to be able to play 500 baseball till the All-Star break in order to stay competitive. And then they need to get Mullins back and in essence, see what happens. Yeah, and and this is the time in which fans of a club who has, which has been terrible, need to turn into fans of a club that is pretty good and plays 162 games. And I, you, I'm i not being critical of anybody who's upset right now over the way the Orioles are playing. And I'm not being critical of anybody that's worried that, you know, the, the quicksand is coming. Yep. What I'm saying is that we got a lot of baseball left. Sure. And that if it hadn't been for a stellar April, and, yep. and frankly, uh, a May that was way better than I expected. Yep. I would be more panicked. Yeah. Can I, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot. And again, I'm obviously everyone can tell me, tell, you know, I'm a typical Orioles fan. I'm in a bad mood right now. However, I do want to kind of do a roar from 34 moment here. Ooh. So Matt Taylor, obviously roar from 34, um, does a great job. Has kind of referencing back to the history of the Baltimore Orioles. I think it's important for us to reference back to history on this basis. Jake, if I recall, in 2012, the Orioles lost one of their star outfielders for a month and a half due to a broken handmate at that given time, specifically in June and July, and then came back post-All-Star break and then led his team to a playoff berth and a winning season for the first time in many years. So I'm not saying Cedric Mullins is Nick Markakis, but I might put them in a similar tier category in terms of importance to the team. Again, leadoff hitter, just mm-hmm. like Marquecas was the leadoff hitter for the Baltimore Orioles in 2012. Um, and the Orioles managed, and I wouldn't say they were world beaters doing during June and July, but they played 500 baseball. And then again, July, August, September, the Orioles went on a tear again and were able to get into the playoffs. So again, it's not to say that the season is over. It's not to say that the team is instantly going to get bad, but just like we're saying, expectations may have to change slightly in terms of what to expect on the field for the, maybe these next six weeks. So you're telling me strap in and strap on. What I'm saying is there's a chance. (laughs) All right, let's round second. We'll head into third base. And I want to talk about rotation management. Yeah. We didn't even talk about this yet in terms of the other big thing that happened this week. When we last you know, were talking when about last we left our heroes. When we last left our heroes, we were talking it. We were all giddy and stuff like that. Um, and we were talking on the podcast, I think two podcasts ago specifically, of like Grace Rodriguez, if he continues to struggle, what do you do? How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you solve this? Uh, and the Orioles made the move, um, you know, during that Ranger series after the Friday night game, uh, where the Orioles lost twelve to two, uh, to say we are going to option Grace Rodriguez to Norfolk in order to pull up a bullpen arm at this given time in order to, for us to give us more depth. And at the time I was just like, 
all right, I understand it. Don't love it. Understand it because you do need the arms because you did kind of go, you've been on this tear through May of basically using up your your bullpen arms. Um, but we come to today's game. And we come to, you know, this this day on Wednesday, uh, and it's Grayson's turn to basically start, and it's a bullpen game, and I'm left looking at it and saying, my God, what did we do? What? All right. So there was a bullpen game today. Yes. And much like, much like the uh, Aaron Hicks situation, I am left asking, but why? Why was a bullpen? bullpen game necessary and and the the question is why do the orioles have no one else to start right again and it, and it comes back to um you know you look at the folks that you have currently in norfolk you have grace rodriguez you have deal hall you have cole Irvin who pitched for the norfolk tides today uh you've got drew rom and you got bruce Zimmerman, and you got spencer watkins one of those individuals has to come up and start for your team. Even past this whole point of like, well, like you could do a bullpen game if you want. You're probably going to need another person up as it is. It's not like you're putting Grayson down and then immediately bringing him back up. Um, oh, so this is a problem that has to be solved like on a regular basis. On a regular basis. So I, 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 I don't get it. I understand why you made the move for a bullpen arm um, going into Saturday's game. It is now Wednesday. A move had to be made before Wednesday's game um, to basically do it, especially with, you know, the scenario that you're looking at from the night beforehand where you had a very easy game that you should have coasted and not have to use too much bullpen. And you had to bring in Yannir Cano and you had to bring in Felix Batista and you had to blow through your bullpen in order to win that game, which I'm, I think it was the right move. Um, but the reality of the situation is, you you killed yourself in terms of you know doing a bullpen game effectively on that basis. Well, so, so it's just it's just mind boggling to me. I, I keep finding myself having to defend the manager, uh, which makes me frustrated. But like, this the, is not on Hyde. No, no, no. The, the, the players not coming through for him and making him pull the levers that he pulled to right. win that game, as you just indicated. But then I, I think that the organization really really screwed him on this one too because and you were talking about this off mic before the show started there is a scenario yeah where you know we could have brought back a guy like cole Irvin. yeah we could have brought back drew rom yep we could have brought back guys who had been sent back down and maybe their time hasn't been and been up yet because of the injury to cedric sure this scenario was out there and needed to have been solved. And then once you brought those guys up, you still would have had a 40-man roster spot yep. to be able to to make a signing for Hicks. I think you described it much more eloquently than I did just there. But when we talk about how amazing Elias has been in so many factors for this team, this seems like a pretty big miss to me. I, I agree. So, I mean, you know... There's no doubt in my mind that Elias and Insigmadel are great, you know, general managers and co-GMs. Um, they've done a great job with their drafting. They've got a, done a great job in terms of, you know, bringing, you know, additional um, hitters up to speed of where they need to be. I mean, there's no doubt you can you can look at that. But the roster management portion has not significantly impressed me to date um, as it relates to pulling up pitchers, pulling up hitters, 
in essence, really extending, you know, how much you're using that 40 man roster. Uh, we saw some brief glimpses of it earlier this season where they did start pulling people up. They start pulling up like folks like Joey Ortiz and you're like, all right, like we're going to do this. Like we're going to use our 40 man roster to our maximum benefit. But if I look right now at our 40 man roster, I'm saying we're really not using it. Like even if you didn't want to bring Cole Irvin up, Bruce Zimmerman has been pitching really well in Norfolk. I would have loved to see Bruce Zimmerman pitch a five inning game today and just see what happens. Like it, it might not have been great, but I would have loved to see that. Um, but again, I would have probably bought up Cole Irvin, um, especially since he was starting in Norfolk. Um, I, I just don't get it. It just seems like a really poor roster management standpoint. And again, I look at, you know, your bench spots that you have currently on the Orioles. And I'm like, is that really what you want to be doing, especially at this given time? Go ahead. Well, no, I, I think that you are you are effectively rounding third. Yeah. And you are pressing home. And at home plate this week, we've got, where's the Calvary? Where is the Calvary? So, again, you look at your bench positions. And, again, you lost Cedric Mullins. You, in essence, need to shift Austin Hayes over to center field, which means that, like you mentioned before, Jake, you need to have a left fielder going forward that's going to have depth. They've thrown folks like Taryn Varver out there. Um, and, and again, that's certainly not a great option. So they've talked about putting Mateo they, in the outfield. I, I know folks continue to bring up Mateo uh, in the outfield. I, I think Paul Valley, you know, has been bringing us up a lot in terms well, of. Brandon Hyde brought it up. Yeah, in terms of like, let's give it a shot. Again, I. I, I I don't understand the standpoint because like if Mateo is a great hitter, yes, cool. Like let's make that work. But like Mateo's not hitting, so like why are you destroying the one good thing that he is bringing by being in the lineup by by doing this? And if the bat doesn't play it short, it certainly doesn't play at corner outfield. Correct. So again, I, I look at this and I say from a Calvary standpoint, you know let's think about our prospects. I mean, Colton Kowser, if he was healthy, would be up right now and he would be playing for this team. There's no doubt about it with the, with the, with the, with the, the Mullins injury. However, that's not an option right now. He's hurt. Um, he'll probably be up as soon as he, in essence, gets some rehab games in and goes from there. But Jordan Westberg should be on this team right now. There's no doubt in my mind that Jordan Westberg, who has well over 1000 OPS should be on this team and playing right now. So, Again, you look at that and you say, well, where could Jordan Westberg play? Jordan Westberg could easily play at third base. So you basically say, well, then where does Gunnar Henderson move? Well, Gunnar Henderson goes to shortstop just like he was playing last year, even when Mateo was playing at a gold glove level. Um, Adam Frazier continues to play second base, but you could even potentially move Adam Frazier out into left field if you have to. Adam Frazier was signed as a utility infielder, but also an outfielder if absolutely necessary. Um, and then again, you've got Ryan McKenna as a possibility as well. Um, but again, if it were me, I look at the Calvary and I say, you know, you've got a plethora of top prospects in the organization right now that need to be coming up. I'll give you another example. Joey Ortiz was optioned. Do you know that Joey Ortiz has not returned to the Norfolk lineup since being optioned? Hmm. So Joey Ortiz has basically just vanished. No one is exactly sure where Joey Ortiz is. He has been mentioned by any of the beat writers. He just just disappeared and has not appeared in the Norfolk lineup whatsoever. 
Super weird. I got to be honest, an earlier uh, episode of Bird's Eye View would have had a conspiracy theory ready. There's no question about it. But again, you just look through the prospect list and you're saying, what are the Orioles doing? Like, you have to, in essence, do things. So, well, I I think that my my frustration is when you look down the roster at, at the Norfolk Tides and you look at, you know, what are our options? Yep. Connor Norby is listed as a yes. bunch of positions, including left field. Of course. And that dude is raking right now. Yep. John, uh, Josh Lester, Daz Cameron. Yep. Guys that can play the outfield. Yep. Do we want them there for months at a time? No. Absolutely not. But we've got to hold a plug right now. And a couple of weeks ago, I was crowing about how, how refreshing it was that this team was using the Norfolk shuttle, was using its minor league system in win now mode. Yeah. And if I look at those guys, Norby, Lester, Cameron, I'm not saying that those are the guys. Yeah. That these are going to come up and be major league ready solutions right now. Yep. What I am saying is that turning to those guys instead of having to sign an Aaron Hicks. Yep. Is certainly more palatable. Sure. And, And again, you know, part of that aspect comes back to, you know, you look at them and some of those individuals that I just named off, including a Des Cameron, would have had to be added to the 40 man roster. And I ultimately come back to that previous question that I raised, which is I am wondering if to a certain aspect are the Orioles in essence saying, well, we don't want to add a Jordan Westberg quite yet to the 40 man roster because we're concerned about service time or something like that on that basis. Um, it just, it just screams, this is the time where you can't, in essence, be conservative. You've got to promote a Connor Norby. You've got to promote um, a Jordan Westberg. You've got to figure out where the hell Joey Ortiz is. Um, you, you've got to start shaking things up. And again, even outside the whole Mullen situation, the Mateo situation is a great example, too, of like, yes, I agree. Mateo plays a great shortstop. But let's be frank. Jorge Mateo is cannot be the starting shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles, specifically even going into the 2024 season. It just can't happen. So who is going to be your shortstop for the remainder of this season and going into the 2024 season? I got it. Yep. Adam Frazier. Uh, if that's the case, then <laughs> we're going to have issues. Again, I, I come back and I, I scream the standpoint of, I think Gunner's done a great job at third base. Gunnar Henderson screams to me when I watch him play, he is a shortstop. He's got the arm of a shortstop. He's got the, the range of a shortstop. He is a shortstop to me. He may not be quite as good as Mateo, but I think he'd be darn good enough is the most we describe. And we saw plenty of plays last year that made us believe that aspect. Um, he, he passes the eye test. You, you can also get away in 2022 in not doing things it took to win. Yeah. You can't get away with that in 2023. We're, we're here now. Yeah. We're in win mal mode. We're here to win. Yeah. We're not here to uh, navigate service time. We're not here to build. We're not here to look ahead to next year. We're head. We're here to win. We're here to look ahead to next game. And I need to see more out of the order. You asked, "Where's the cavalry?" Right. Yeah. Well, for better or for worse, I feel like this team has reversed its previous uh, strategy. And grown the bats 
Yeah. More so than the arms. Yeah. We should have the bats to be able yeah. to fill holes. Yeah. And, you know, there was, you know, Connor Norby actually went on to Glenn Clark Radio today. He was talking to him about, you know, just how things are going in Norfolk and stuff like that. Where are you? Yeah. Are you in the car right now? He had this quote. And again, I don't want us to read too much into context with it. Connor reported it as well. But I think it's something important to think about. And it's as follows. Um, his quote was, I think it was the question of, um, what do you think about potentially being a trade piece in an Orioles trade in the future? And he says, I think about it all the time. Um, I try not to worry about it, but it's a real possibility. But for whoever gets traded, it's probably for the better because you have a clearer path to the big leagues like a Darrell Hernandez. And again, I'm not saying specifically, and I think he came back and referenced this and so did Glenn, like he's not saying that he's openly rooting to be traded. Mm-hmm. But, and this is my but, I do think there is some situation there where I do think some of the minor league guys are talking and saying, at what point do we get our shot? Like, what do we have to do? What more do we have to do in order to, you know, get up to it? And again, I raised that question specifically that came out specifically of talking about Elias and Medell of, you know, are they being a little too conservative in approach in terms of promotions? And do they need to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of saying, yep, we're going to start the service time. Yes, we're going to put you up here, even to get you 30 plate appearances and then go ahead and push you back down. Um, again, they seem to be willing to do that with Grayson Rodriguez of we'll go back to the yo-yoing mentality now. Do they need to be doing that with their additional members of their top 10 prospects? All I can say to that is it's lift off from here. Yeah. So, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, coming back and, you know, looking at the situation, it's not all bad. You know, May was an excellent month, and June could easily be a very good month as well. Or just okay. Or just okay. But if the Orioles stick to status quo and just say, hey, we're going to go ahead out there with the team that we have at this given moment that is part of the 26-man roster, it's not going to look good on a long-term period basis. So they've got to start making moves and they're going to have to start shaking the deck up significantly in order to combat a little bit of that. We'll call it, you know, Cedric Mullins being out, but also just the typical baseball ruts that occur within a 162 game season. My question is this, how long will it take Ryan McKenna to log enough innings to be an effective opener? Uh, a lot, a lot. <laughs> can, right. you, can you throw the ball faster than 35 miles per hour, by the way? Absolutely. My tw- my 12U kids throw yeah. the ball oh, way faster me, than that. I, I know your 12U kids can throw faster than 35 miles per hour. My specific question was, can Jake English throw faster than 35 miles per hour? And I thought, Scott, that I artfully dodged the question. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave it right there. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back to Fantasy Boss. There's a time for love and a time for this. Take a chance and face the wind. Oh, come on. Is this actually happening? How is it possible? You know when you were saying earlier 
that it's impossible for someone to have greater than a 600 winning percentage for an entire season. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't fair. This isn't fair, Scott. You go up to a six nothing lead. I've broken the system at this point. This is rarefied air. I don't think we've ever had a six run or six point lead in fantasy balls. If I get to like, we'll call it 10 to nothing at the all-star break. Do we just reset and just say, we're going to start anew? I I'm wondering what point you can't be caught. Uh, I think there's plenty of time left. It's a very, very long season. I also haven't gotten into wild cards territory yet. I, that, I will, true. when I, when desperation speaks, yeah. uh, there will be, so, Hey, look, uh, you fair and square, you, you, uh, won this week. So wild card is going to be, which Beatles going to die first, Fringo or McCartney? Stop. You're the worst. <laughs> oh, this past week it was on base percentage. You took Adley, which is a great pick, by the way. Great pick. I took chalk. 419. Well, Scotty, I also selected chalk. Yeah. My chalk didn't make it all the way down to first base. Yeah. Cedric Mullins had just a 269 on base percentage. I'm surprised by that, was. honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that he was doing much better up into that that injury. So I had to look to make sure I hadn't made a mistake, but yeah. I made the mistake in, in trusting myself and picking Cedric Mullins. So again, not a surprise, but you take it again this week with Scott. I have a fantasy boss category that I am so excited. Oh, so excited about. So excited about. You and I had a conversation uh, off mic before the show okay. started. Uh, where we needed to make a decision mm-hmm. about tonight's show. Yeah, we we needed to decide. Whether or not this was the time to bring out Dongs After Dark. Yeah. Dongs After Dark is is important to the show. Yes. It's part of its DNA. It is important. And if you're wondering, uh, first time listener, but uh, you know, both of you, I'm sure. Uh Dongs After Dark is what we refer to as a home run in West Coast baseball games that start, you know, in the nine o'clock hour. Any home run. Dongs, dongs, dongs. Dongs after dark. Dongs! The Orioles have a West Coast trip coming up. Yeah, they do. So clearly we're in Dongs after dark territory. There's only one game at night. There are games during the day. Yes. On a West Coast trip. Yes. Thereby nullifying Dongs after dark. It's like a, a tease. So you see the dong partially? Someone, and then the dongs quickly retreat into the afternoon. Someone is trying to rob us of the enjoyment of baseball. We have just one dong after dark yeah. opportunity. And yeah. so that is the subject of this week's Fantasy Boss. Right. Scott Magnus, the line is set at 1.5. All right. Does How it, many dongs after dark in that game okay. will we have for the Baltimore Orioles? Only for the Baltimore Orioles. Just the A's. All right. I'm going to go under. Gonna go under 1.5. All right. I'm delighted. I wanted the over. Can, can I get a wild card to get an extra point by calling out zero? No. <laughs> Jake's like, I'm not taking that risk. <laughs> Jake's like, I can't have you go up eight nothing on me. Can't, can't <laughs> Scott, I'm terrified. <laughs> terrified of you right now. Jake's like, it knowing knowing Jake English's um personal life. There is a good chance that um, there would be no dogs after dark. There are going to be quite a few more. There would be a better chance that there'd be an afternoon delight than a dog after dark. 
All right, so there we have it. This week's Fantasy Boss uh, category. And in hopes that we can avoid a 7 nothing route and move to a, a much more comfortable 6-1. and one. Yep. Uh, 1.5 over under for Orioles home runs in the lone Dongs After Dark opportunity, which just begs the question, who will own it? And with that, let's find out who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly. Scott, now I'm nervous. You brought it up again. I'm I'm worried I'm the only one that's going to follow the good, bad, and the ugly format, but we have to soldier on. And so my good for this week is Gunner at the plate. Gunner Henderson, we've, you know, we've had some conversations all season about him uh, really struggling. Still striking out too much for my liking, to be honest, but he did have a 152 weighted runs created plus uh, this past week, actually since, since the last time we recorded, which is a little bit over a week. Um, so it's about time. It's great to see Gunner performing well. Good week. I completely agree. I think, you know, coming back to that cavalry comment that we made, I think this is the time where Gunner has to turn it on. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, we've been waiting the entire season. Um, yes, he is striking out a decent amount, but overall I've been really impressed by some of the plate appearances he has in terms of spraying the ball. Um, so I think, you know, if we look at June as a whole, I think it's going to be a question. I think the Orioles are going to live and die by Gunner. I think if Gunner goes cold, like he had in April, I think it's going to be a bad month. I think if Gunner continues to deliver, as we've seen over the past even 14 days, I think June may be salvageable is the best way to put it. I think that's really interesting. And when you think about it, it's the next man up mentality, Correct. right? Right now, you look at a guy like Austin Hayes and you say, well, that's one of the complimentary guys that we have. Blah, 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 blah. Well, now he's in a more starring role. Yep. Right. And the Orioles are going to need more out of him, period. Yep. Offensively and defensively. And so now that pushes Gunner up. Yep. From a, from a, also ran into a guy that needs to be in a complimentary role. This week, he fulfilled it. How will he do for the rest of the month? I think that's, that's a really, yeah. really interesting thing. Yeah. So my good is going to go, since the last time we talked, is going to go to Kyle Gibson. And I think mm-hmm. it's someone that we've talked about. Um, but over the past 14 days, Kyle Gibson has gone and started in three games. He's gone 19 and two-thirds innings, um, and he's had a 1.83 ERA. He's won all three of those games he started. Again, peripherals, not great. 5.03 Ks per nine, 3.20 walks per nine. But I'll talk about something that Jim Palmer has mentioned while watching him. Kyle Gibson knows how to pitch. It's an aspect where he knows how to mix up his pitch peripherals, and he knows where to kind of position it accordingly in order to get those outs. Kyle Gibson is not an ace. Kyle Gibson is, you know— not a great pitcher, um, but he's good enough to basically go out there consistently in terms of mixing up his peripherals and mixing up his arsenal in order to potentially get through six innings every single start. He didn't get through six innings in this most recent start. He got through five and two thirds. But overall, Kyle Gibson is doing just what the Orioles signed him for, which is going deep into games um, and keeping the team relatively close. So Kyle Gibson is gets my good for the week. Um, I, I think, you know, People continue to talk about him, um, but absolutely an important basis and also um, a really big deal as it relates to um, being a clubhouse 
presence is the best way to describe it. I believe he was also the one that mentioned the comment about being juggernauts yeah. um, in the American League East, which, again, I love to see. I love that, you know, passion and that aspect, like, people need to start paying attention to us. I think I'm falling in love with Kyle Gibson. Yeah. I, I really do. Another thing that he said that that I thought a lot about and decided that I, I think I like is that um, he was asked after a start about him and Adley. And he said something to the effect of, like, well, you know, Adley wasn't wasn't making some of the adjustments that I wanted to make during the game uh, as quickly as I, I would have liked. And at first I didn't love the statement. Mm-hmm. But then I got to thinking about it, like, yeah, this is an experienced major league starter sure. who's got a, you know, relatively young, inexperienced catcher. And I love the fact that those two are paired up. Yeah. I, I think that that catching They're, Kyle Gibson is going to help Adley in his career. Correct. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Adley is a, a, a generational talent is the best way to put it. Um, but Adley needs to learn how to manage not just folks he's come up with through the minors, but he's also going to need to, in essence, um, embark on difficult times when they come up and in essence, know how to respond to those given situations. So I think that's a great comment by Gibson. Um, and I don't think he was throwing any shade at, yeah. at, at him. It was just the aspect of like, these are the things that you have to learn how to do as part of your career. Um, and it's only going to make, you know, Richmond even a better uh, player going forward. Yeah, yeah. So my bad this week is going to go to Adam Frazier. Uh, really just disappe- uh, disappeared at the plate. And, you know, he's he's doing a decent Odor impression, which we talked about a little bit earlier, and the fact that he's got some clutchiness about him mm-hmm. with the timing of home runs and things of that nature. But overall, he had a 68-weighted runs created plus this week. Uh, boy, I wish the $8 million man was doing a little bit more for us, and that's why he gets my bad. Yeah. I'm going to give my bad to someone who, again, I also think needs to step up in June, and I think someone's been calling it out as well. Ryan Mountcastle, since mm. we've last talked, is you know not been doing terrible, is the best way to describe it. He's posting an 82-weighted runs created plus, 241 average, 294 on base percentage, and a 379 slugging percentage. But again, this comes back down to... If Ryan Mountcastle is going to be posting, we'll call it, you know, roughly um, a 650 to 700 OPS, it's not going to be good enough. Like Ryan Mountcastle needs to be posting closer to a 750 to 800 OPS in order for this team to be sustainable in June. We've seen him be able to do that. Um, But, you know, right now he's been in the cold patch for, for some time now. He's going to need to get hot again, just like he was earlier this season, um, and help carry this team. So, again, Two different aspects. I'm seeing it right now from Gunner where he's starting to kind of thrive at this given moment. But again, I think, you know, those are two players who are going to be right in the middle of your order, maybe number three, four, or five, that I'd be keeping an eye on for the next two weeks to see which one thrives and which one doesn't. Because I think it's going to tell a lot about how good the Orioles are going to be in the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Ryan Mountcastle can have a week where he goes 82 weighted runs created plus. But... He can't do it in a week when there are only four regulars that are over yeah. the major league average at that point. And, and that's what we saw this week. My ugly for this week is going to go to the other foot. And you mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. Orioles fans, my, myself included, all of us, are just waiting for that other foot to drop. We experienced this in 2012. We experienced this every time the Orioles are pretty good, which is that we're just waiting for the inevitable failure. We're waiting for things to blow up in our face because we've seen too much. We've experienced too much 
Orioles baseball, and it sucks. It sucks that every time there's a minor bump in the road, we're haunted by the specter of failure, which is something that Orioles fans are conditioned for. So I, I, I'm not panicking, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't think that you know, we're necessarily in trouble. But yeah, I feel it too. I feel the specter of that other foot waiting to drop, and that's just such a crappy feeling as an individual fan and as a fan base. You can, you can feel the shift. Yeah. And that's my ugly for this week. I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not saying that people are acting irrationally. It just sucks. Yeah. Uh, my ugly is going to go to one that I believe you brought up um, early this season, but I do think it needs to be called out once again. We are well into two months of the season. And frankly, um, it's an embarrassment. The current food performance right now at Camden Yards is an absolute disaster. Um, I understand that there is a new, you know, organization in there. They're trying to figure out how things work. But frankly, the food quality and even the training that has been given to folks within the stadium is an absolute disaster. People should not have to be waiting in very long lines to get cotton candy. Like, what are we doing here? Like, people shouldn't be buying cotton candy anyway. Well, that's just a when you have a, kids, you really don't have an option, is the most way to hot, describe it. Hot take yeah. cotton candy is trash. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, going and getting a hot dog, hot dogs should be completely warm. They should be steamed, everything like that. Again, there is a serious mismanagement currently going on within the ballpark from a an administration basis. It's got to improve. And, and again, I don't know what the Orioles have to do. I don't know if they just have to sit down with the vendor and say, look, this is unacceptable. Um, you're going to improve on this. You're going to staff accordingly. You're going to do training. But ultimately... Uh, the fan experience matters so much. Um, again, we talk about all the time, go to the stadium, support the team, support the team. And as much as we talk about, hey, bring food into the stadium, it's free and everything like that. The reality of the situation is people are going to go to the stadium and they're going to want to enjoy the atmosphere. They're going to want to have a hot dog. They're going to, going to have a beer. They're going to want to have a lemonade. They may even want to have a candy, even though Jake is against it. Um, it's trash. It, it may be. Um but you have to be able to demonstrate the ability to office a certain service in order to basically have people have that memory in the back of their mind to say, I want to come back again. And I think the food performance is starting to impact on that um, reason to come back to the stadium. So Orioles, I'm asking you, please improve on the food performance standpoint. Please improve on the cotton candy situation so that in the future, Jake can have cotton candy and do the wave while watching the next Orioles baseball game. Gross. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> All right, that's the good. That's the bad. That is the ugly. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and blow the save. As we blow the save here in episode 366, I'm going to do the thing that invites so many delicate people to write bad reviews and say mean things to us. You know, Scott, it's never our lack of insight and baseless opinions that gets us that treatment. It's this. I'd like to point out that tomorrow is June 1st, and so begins Pride Month. This month, the Orioles, other Major League Baseball organizations, and frankly, businesses all over the country will try to mix the business of widening their profit margins 
with draping their products in the language of inclusion. And if this is threatening to you, I would just like to remind you that nobody asked you and that you can suffer this great insult in silence. Because when we stoop to calling the recognition of other people's humanity, quote, getting political, end quote, we use the language of great privilege. So Birdland, happy Pride Month. And if Pride Month makes you unhappy, suffer that minor inconvenience in silence. Because if you think that it's uncomfortable to have your worldview, your very existence completely ignored for an entire 30-day period, that is the whole point. And that, that is our show. Remember that you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever you should get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Hate mail can go to jake at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Or contact me at scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com because I would love to have a conversation with you. You can find us all over on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Snapchat. We're on the ticks and the talks. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter where we tweet at birdseyeview. B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Baltimore, be loud, be proud, and let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.